You're listening to the Kingdom Culture Church Podcast. To connect with us, hop on social media or go to kingdomculturechurch.com.au. Welcome everybody to the sermon. My name is Pastor Caleb and I will be continuing on the series, I'm Not Anxious. We're up to part, Sam? We'll just put a part, I'm not anxious, part, all right. So, I'm not anxious. Bit of a misnomer, because if we're being real, I don't think anyone right now could say 100% that they're not anxious. Uh, Unless you're watching this video in 2030, in which case, hey, remember that coronavirus thing? That was wild. So, right now though, I mean, my, a few days ago, my wife just lost her job. Um, don't know what's going on with mine. You probably don't know what's going on with yours. Health, that's a bit scary. Social distancing, what's going on? We've got actual stuff to be anxious about. And if I'm being honest, I don't want to hear about how to deal with anxiety from someone who everything that's going on in their life is, is and always has been easy and roses, right? So that's why looking in scripture, letters written by Paul who had people throwing rocks at him trying to stone him to death had been driven out of towns had spent time in prison had spent time being tortured being flogged being beaten up being oppressed being spat on that's the kind of person that I want to hear I want to hear your take on anxiety because you have a situation you have an idea of when life is rough And so I want to hear that kind of take on how to deal with anxiety. And so in Philippians 4, verse 6, he says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, Whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And so there's a few things that I want to break down in that verse. Because if we just do a quick overview, if we just read it and walk away, sometimes we miss context, nuance, depth that's in scripture. Sometimes we read something like that and we get like a Sunday school vibe to it. You know what I mean? Just something really shallow and comforting and cruisy. But if we really break it down, there's actually something a lot more substantial, something a lot more weighty going on. He's saying, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. And that's really what I feel he breaks down in the next paragraph where he's talking about whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure. If there's anything, anything, if you can think of anything that's worthy of praise, meditate on that, think on that, focus on that, be driven by that, have that be at the forefront of your mind. That's what I believe he's talking about when he's saying, bring your stuff to God with prayer in a place of thanksgiving. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Now, what's interesting here is he's not saying you'll get everything you want. He's not saying if you ask God with thanksgiving, everything will be perfect. All your problems will go away. You'll get to skip through the tulips. 
What he says is, the peace of God will guard your hearts and your minds. And this is, I feel, a much more real and tangible kind of thing. I had once lived with a guy who, during the state of origin, he was, started praying for Queensland to win. I was kind of thinking, how does God work with that? Is it like 12 people in New Zealand, 13 people in Queensland, so that, that's how that evens out? So it's not always, prayer isn't just like, I want to get my way. There's actually a conversation that goes on with prayer. There's actually a pouring out of our hearts towards God. It, it shouldn't really be a place primarily about us presenting our wants list to God. That's Santa. So it says that the peace of God will guard our hearts and minds. So what's being talked about here? Hearts is the word kata. The New Testament was actually written in Greece. Not a lot of English speakers in Greece. So it's written in Greek. That word there is cardia, where we get the word cardiology or cardio. It is talking about the organ from where blood circulates. So that picture of blood circulating throughout the body created for them an image of this idea of vigor and a sense of your physical life, and then also the center of your spiritual life in an emotional sense. So this is kind of the way that Greek society would use this word that Paul is choosing to use in the letter here. Then with minds, it's the word nomia, which is talking about your intellect or your mental perception. So if we look at both those things, he's talking about your emotions and your headspace, which I think is a really relevant thing to be talking about when we're talking about anxiety. We, honestly, I feel, at least in my life, that's the place where anxiety hits me. In my emotions, your chest starts to get a bit tight, kind of feels like you've drunk too much coffee maybe that morning. Is it beating fast? I don't know. It just feels like tight, constricted, some kind of emotion you just can't put your finger on. There's the, emo- there's the anxiety in that sense. And then there's the headspace. I think we've all been there, laying awake in bed, just going through the thoughts, the worries, the concerns, the questions, playing out the argument again in your head, how it could have gone, what you should have said, how that could have gone. That thing that you do, you do it. I know you do it. Where you just dwell on that thing you said when you were five that was super embarrassing. What's with that? But we're talking about headspace there. We're talking about that place in your head where it's almost like you lose control of your thought life. And those are two areas where it's really important that we actually are able to exhibit self-control because we've all got memories in our own life and of ourselves and other people when they've lost control of their emotions or their headspace. It doesn't look pretty. And so what he's talking about here is we've got this anxiety in our emotions and in our headspace. And he's talking about with prayer, putting ownership of it into God's hands. This situation, I'm going to make my request known to you. I'm not just down here. I've done everything that I can do, but I'm going to, I'm going to put it to you. I'm going to put ownership of my life to you, God. That was a burp. I'm going to put ownership of my life to you, God. That's not blame of the negative situations in my life. That's ownership of my life. I'm not saying that every negative situation is something that God's done, message for another time, but that what's going on in my heart, in my life, in my situation, God, I'm giving that up to you from the context of thanksgiving, from the context of if there's anything praiseworthy, I'm meditating on that. I think for Paul that anything praiseworthy for him 
was the transformation that Jesus Christ had done in his life that took him from a place of what we'd really call dead religious acts, just doing the ritual without really knowing the person and into a place of actual relationship with God. Uh, Fun fact, if you didn't know, for anyone who is tuning in because the YouTube algorithm is being weird and isn't actually a member of the church, um, guy who wrote most of the New Testament started off by killing Christians. So God intervened in that life. So what we're having here is we're putting the ownership into God's hands from a place of thanksgiving. And his peace is guarding our hearts and our minds, our emotional space and our headspace, allowing us to actually have that resistance to all the thoughts and the dwelling and everything that comes that way and actually have power in that place to, yes, feel it, yes, know it, but not live from those places, to actually live from a higher place with God as opposed to a lower place just in our emotions and our headspace. As he goes on, in James 4, he's talking about a different situation that I feel applies. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covert, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. And so two things that I want to kind of focus on here. We're talking about these fights and quarrels within us coming from our desires that battle within us and also that our prayers often are misplaced because they're focused on our pleasures. And this word desires and pleasures in the Greek is the word hedon or hedone or hedone. Correct me in the comments which was where, is where we get the word uh, hedonistic from. And it's talking about our desire for pleasure or sensual delight. And so that can come across like I'm being a bit epic in terms of you have this sensual um, hedonistic delight within you. But really what he's talking about is that physical desire for comfort, for pleasure in a physical sense. So that doesn't just mean all the stuff that could come to your head, but it also means that desire, you just feel comfortable in the situation that we're in. And that in and of itself isn't evil. But if we are coming from a place where that desire is contrary to what's going on in our life, that can cause this conflict within us. It actually says you have these, you crave, but you can't have, so you kill because you're unable to attain, you quarrel in a fight, you do not have. I mean, where else did that toilet paper thing come from? No one actually needed that much toilet paper. But something about the anxiety, about the feeling of need for, if I, have an, I need to have enough, and if I have enough, then I'll be okay. So I just need to go out, and I need to get it, and I need to have it, and then I'll be okay. That's, that's that feeling of need for comfort. And so that f- desire to be comfortable isn't evil, but we would see that the way that it played out in society recently was impractical. So if we put these two verses together, these two ideas together, we're talking about having this peace from God because we put our headspace in the right place, this thankful place and this putting our, making our concerns known to God, creating a peace in our heart and our minds, in our emotional space, 
and into, in our mental space. We're also talking about this passions that war within us that cause us to, when we are talking to God, be really focused on what we want in the here and now and the physical needs. And what I think happens in situations like this, when there's conflict, when there's turmoil, when things get turned upside down, is we start to actually ask the question, what is the good life? What does it mean to have a good life? Because I believe that we pursue after a good life sometimes without actually asking ourselves what we want out of life. Through media, through uh, just the way that the world is constructed, what our friends are after, what we think our friends want from us, what we think will make people like us, that starts to become the framework that we use to build what we think is the good life. Enough friends around us, um, people thinking that we're funny, people thinking that we're smart, uh, money, finance. Apparently, 20% or more of young people believe they will be famous. Not want to be, believe they will be. That's just going to happen. It's inevitability in their life. When really, who invented the train? Who invented the air conditioner? I mean, I'm sure someone out there knows, but really, would we say that these are famous people? They've certainly contributed to the world state far more than I probably ever will. If they are not getting remembered, what chance do I have? And so if my desire, my goal, my aim, my answer to the question, what is living a good life, is to become famous, to become remembered, to become known, to be immortal in the minds of other people, I'm going to have a bad time. Because no matter how much I try, no matter how much I strain and stress, I have a very small chance of becoming famous just while I'm alive, and and pretty much no chance of being remembered after I'm dead. It's just the reality of the situation. And so when our desires are focused on these kinds of things, on other people liking me, well, I can't control that. Being the funniest person in the room, I can't control that. Being the smartest person in the room, I can't control that. Being rich, you'd think you could control that. But right now, there are some people who hustled, who played the game really well, who now maybe don't feel as secure in their finances as they once did. And so we want to answer the question, what is the good life in a good way? And I believe, I really do, that what we can see from these two verses is that if Paul was here today talking about his life and what he believes is the good life for him, it's much better to pursue after goals such as kindness, being kind to other people, treating other people well, loving people, These are things you can actually be in control of. These are things you can actually, right now, make a decision to do. You can pick up your phone, and you can right now type in a message to a friend that you haven't seen in a long time, or someone who you know isn't doing well, and you can actually care for that person right now. The good feeling that comes from that, the kind of person that you become from consistently doing that, is probably worth well more than other things. But more importantly, That's something you can actually stand on, that I don't know what's going on in this world. I'm not in control of everything, but I can choose to be kind, and I will choose to be kind. I can choose to love my wife. I can choose to be good to my kids. In whatever circumstance that looks like, in times of of plenty, that might look like buying them things, but in times of lack lack like this, being kind, being gentle, being loving, being caring. 
And these are the decisions that we can actually make, that we can actually let be the focus of our life. And if we can do that, if we can focus on these kinds of things, then we are freed up from that anxiety, from that war within us of trying to grab at things that we can never truly hold. I had the experience in my own life when I was a younger man, full of anger, uh, full of bitterness, full of just an unconscious belief that everybody hated me and that therefore they weren't worth loving or being kind to. I actually literally made it a mission of mine to make the life of someone miserable because they were happy and living in the same circumstance that I was and that just seemed unjust to me. And so you could be listening to this message and maybe you are listening to it because you are a Kingdom Culture Church, Burping Gary, local member. We can't come together in church right now. And so you're watching it on a Sunday to, to get that sense of community that we can't really have right now in the sense of 100 people in this church. Maybe you're not. Maybe the YouTube algorithm has done something weird and you're finding yourself watching a video that you normally wouldn't. But something about this idea of living without anxiety in anxious times, this idea of having a God that loves you coming into your life and helping you. Maybe you haven't heard that before. Or maybe you have and you don't know that it was real. For me, that was the point that changed in my life, is I came to a place where I had an encounter with God that revealed to me that Jesus wasn't just stories I was told about when I was younger, but actually a real person who came to earth, lived as a human, and died in my place. Took on all the burden and stress and anxiety and punishment of sin that I was due on my behalf. Because we think of hell sometimes as a place where God sends people. Because we'll, we'll have this idea of human morality, right? We've got, say, Mother Teresa up here, and we've got Hitler down here, and we're all somewhere in here. And then what we do as humans is we create a moral framework to draw a line. And then we call the people above that line good, and the people below that line bad. But the Bible actually says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Which sounds super heavy, because it is, but it's also lovely because it means that all of us are on an even playing field. doesn't matter what your day looked like, what my day looked like. We've all fallen short of God. And so through no action of God, hell is just where we're bound. It's not the action of God that sends people to hell. It's the action of God that actually saves people from hell. And that's what I found in my life once I realized, God, I want you to take all this stuff, all this anxiety, all these needs, all this desire, all this need for fulfillment in my own self, take it from me, God. Like, I give you complete control over my life, over myself, that actually that bitterness, that self-hatred, that anger, that disdain for other people left in a moment. And so if I am talking to you and you're the person who doesn't know why they're watching this video, I'd really ask you, reach out to us. We'll put up a website on the screen. 
that you can get in contact with us. Ask us questions. Say, hey, I was watching that video and something in me, my heart started beating faster, just something of a sense of I need to be free. It's all right if you can't articulate it fine into words. We'd just love to start a dialogue with you. Um, so if you could message us, email us, we'll get back to you. Thank you.